Oh God, this is quite a quite an exciting bit of work, really. It's uh, strange how it how it began with a um, you know a, a casual a casual picking up of a rock on the beach. Welcome to Pollock Podcasts, where you'll hear stories from geologists who've spent their careers, their lives, exploring and studying the remarkable and remote geology of Greenland. Why did they become fascinated with Greenland? What were the problems and the discoveries that drove them? And what was it like working in these remote places, where few people venture, even now? I'm Julie Holtz. In this episode, we hear more from Kent Brooks, Emeritus Professor at the Geological Museum in Copenhagen, about the chance discovery of an unusual rock he picked up in East Greenland that led to years of productive research about the nature of the Earth's mantle far beneath the Earth's surface. Well, one of the things that, uh, one of the projects we uh, had, which I was quite proud of, it was something that uh, that started years ago when I was with Nordic Nordic Mining Company, Nordic Nordic Minas Salzgeber, in uh, the 1970. Uh, we were flying, at that time, we were flying up the coast from, from uh, Kangatluxvak uh, to uh, look at the various intrusions along the Blossville coast, most prominent in the Lilwad intrusion. And in order to do that, we had to lay out fuel depots. But we're just about to go out on this trip when we uh, got a radio message that there'd been an accident at, at Wiedemannsfjord, that's by the Lillewas intrusion. There'd been an accident and we uh, we needed to have a medivac. And so uh, our helicopter flew, flew up there and uh, a chap called Peter Brown, who I've mentioned before, he was uh, my neighbour as a youth uh, Surprisingly enough, he'd been crossing the, the Kronborg Glacier, the same glacier that we uh, we were unable to cross on foot, and he'd, uh, he'd, he'd he'd fallen, and his rucksack had swung around somehow and put his put his arm out of joint, and uh, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't uh, put it back in again. It dislocated. They couldn't they couldn't repair it. But we had a doctor with us, so. Uh, we could fly him out, and the doctor would put it back. He actually did it as an Austrian doctor, and uh, he laid Peter on his back and put a boot under his armpit, and then got hold of his hand and gave it a mighty jerk. And there was a sort of cracking noise, and uh, Peter sc- screamed in agony, but then found that his arm was back in joint again. <laughs> but anyhow, we, we medevaced him out of Lilwas and uh, of Edemansfjord. And uh, while while the helicopter was stopped there, I just happened to notice by the skin of the helicopter an interesting looking looking bit of rock. And so uh, I, I just picked this thing up, shoved it, shoved it in the chopper. And uh, later on, I, I had it thin section. I had a look at it. A thin section of a rock allows geologists to identify minerals under a microscope. And it turned out to be uh, quite unusual. And I, I rapidly identified uh, fragments of mantle, mantle material in it. That is, I found small crystals of, uh, crystals of uh, chrome, uh, chromite, uh, or chrome spinel rather, um, enstatite, orthopyroxene, and uh, olivines, and then uh, small, small, small uh, aggregates of enstatite, olivine, and chrome uh, chrom, uh, uh, spinel. These are minerals that are rare in the crust, but which make up much of the Earth's mantle. And uh, th- these were analysed on the, on, the, on the microprobe, and we published a little paper in Contributions to Mineralogy and Petrology. Well, uh, 
Peter Kellerman, who was at the uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, was aware of this paper. And when we were uh, having the expedition in 1995 under the auspices of Dan's Centre, the Danish Lithosphere Centre was a geological research centre based in Copenhagen in the 1990s to early 2000s. Uh, he, uh, he got his eye on this and said, we'd go back and look for more of this material. And so I said, that's fine. Peter Kellerman, I should say, is, a, is an outstanding, outstanding geochemist and petrologist. He now has a, a distinguished chair uh, in Columbia University at the Lamont Oceanographic uh, Observatory. At that time, it was the uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Observatory in uh, Cape Cod. Anyhow, we, uh, I was not at all clear whether, whether we could find any more of this stuff, because of course I didn't know. I just picked up the one rock. It might just have been one rock that was there. Would I would be able to find the rest of it? Well, we flew up there, and uh, as far as I could remember, I mean, uh, 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 what had gone past uh, 80, 90, more than 20 years had passed, and... Uh, I couldn't quite remember where we landed, but uh, we landed where I thought we'd been, and we got out. Oh, and lo and behold, we did. We found, found quite a lot more. We spent some days there, and we loaded up quite a few bo- boxes and rocks with this stuff. And uh, this was another payload problem, because the, the helicopter was lo- loaded so heavily with these rocks that uh, it, could, it could scarcely get off the ground. With helicopters, they have a, a torque monitor, and if the torque, if the torque, if if this goes over much over a hundred percent, you you have a matter of seconds before the the engine burns out. So you mustn't you mustn't sort of put far too much torque on the motor like that. In this case, we had uh, we just managed to get airborne. Of course, once once you get airborne, it's all right because the uh, the weight is decreasing all the time when you burn the fuel. It's just a question of getting off the ground. If you can't get off the ground, that's uh, <laughs> that's the end of it. <laughs> you have to take something out. Anyhow, we, we we collected a whole lot of stuff here, and uh, Stefan worked on this mainly. Stefan Bernstein, a former PhD student of Kent's, and now head of the Department of Petrology and Economic Geology at the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland. And it turned out that the rocks were uh, these these nodules of uh, mantle rocks. They were um, extremely depleted. That is to say that the uh, the uh, easily fusible elements... Those that can be melted easily. ...that uh, when a rock undergoes partial melting, some, some, some elements melt out before the others and you're left with, a, with a, 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 an infusible residue. Uh, th- these, were, these were rocks which had a... An enormous amount of material melted out of them, and there was only this infertile residue left over. And that is what we could you see that because of the composition of the olivine, which is uh, very magnesium rich. Anyhow, Stefan found out that uh, these rocks could be the the residual material from the melting of a type of rock called chromatiite. Chromatiites are only found in the Precambrian. The geological time period from the earliest history of the Earth until about 540 million years ago. They're uh, very magnesium-rich lavas, uh, much more magnesium-rich than the normal basalts, and uh, 
They're not known from, from younger rocks from the Precambrian. And the reason for this is thought to be that during the early stages of Earth's history, the uh, ge- geothermal gradient was much higher than it is today. That is, the Earth was much hotter, and so uh, things, things, things melted at higher temperatures. The volcanic rocks were produced at higher temperatures. Anyhow, it, it appeared that these... These minerals and nodules in the rocks of Wiedemannsfjord, they were uh, residues from the melting of the melting of uh, rocks in the in the early Precambrian. Of course, we didn't really know the age of it. We didn't have any any grasp of the age of it. But later on, we were able to show that in fact these things were did date from the Precambrian by using the so-called rhenium-osmium model ages, and that was work that Carl and Hanghoi did. Carl Hanghoi is a former PhD student of Kent's and is now director of the British Geological Survey, the first woman to hold the role in the survey's 185-year history. When she uh, spent her time at Woods Hole, uh, she determined the rhenium, rhenium and osmium isotopic constants of the rocks and was able to make a make a, a, a guess as to what kind of time, uh, what what the time was when the melting had taken place. Oh God, this is quite a quite an exciting bit of work, really. And it's uh, strange how it how it began with a um, you know a, a casual a casual picking up of a rock on the beach. We extended the work subsequently by going to going to uh, going to West Greenland, and Stefan and I spent a summer on Ubekent Island and uh, collected similar similar rocks from from West Greenland. Most most uh, most notably, something in a rock on the west coast of Ubekent Island that we called uh, Dead Dog's Gulch because of the dead dog in it, but, uh, which uh, was rather uncomfortable because the uh, the, the best exposure we, we found there was only like a few yards from the cock of this smelly dog. And quite why why this why why the dog had chosen to die? I had no idea, but it was. It was very inconvenient. It happened to be there. It could have chosen on the whole coastline. Anyhow, this dike, this dike was absolutely packed full of nodules. A spectacular, very spectacular rock was the, the dead dog dike. The nodules Kent's referring to are pieces of the Earth's mantle, which are rarely found at the Earth's surface. And uh, it yielded very similar results to those we got from Wiedemannsfjord. And I think in all we got uh, four or five papers out of this project. I'm Julie Hollis, and you've been listening to Polar Podcasts. In the next episode, we hear more from Emeritus Senior Scientist Bjorn Thomason about severe storms while exploring for gold in northwest Greenland. Khan Hanghoi is a former PhD student of Kent's and is now director of the British Geological Survey, the first woman to hold the role in the survey's 185-year history.